This is Pricing Nature. I'm Casey Pickett. I'm Jacob Miller. And you have joined us for a mini episode. It's quite short. We worried that you might miss us over spring break. And also, we just have one thing to say. Yeah, we've got like one idea. We're going to share it and then we're going to roll the credits and like don't blink. It's a hook of sorts, a teaser. Yeah, exactly. There's a big episode coming. Buckle up, but don't blink. That's too many idioms. (laughs) I can't follow. So, Casey, the Panama Canal, what does that make you think of? Uh, I guess I'd say global trade. Maybe that reductive palindrome about a man with a plan. (laughs) Yes, there is that. Did you know there's actually, there are two palindromes about Panama? Which is like pretty fascinating. It goes, are we not pure? No, sir. Panama's Moody Noriega brags, it is garbage. Irony dooms a man. A prisoner up to new era. What? You've got to be kidding me. It's definitely the longest palindrome I've ever heard. That's, I don't want to say like my mind is blown because that's kind of cliche, but my mind is definitely sort of like standing back, hands on hips, <laughs> you know, tongue in cheek being like, huh? Yeah, that's amazing. That's a phenomenal palindrome. I'm amazed. Well, Casey, when I think about the Panama Canal, I, I do also think about palindromes and global trade. But now when we think about the Panama Canal, we should also think carbon pricing. You're kidding. You mean they're... Didn't you read the title? <laughs> I did, but I didn't know whether to believe it. Uh, that sounds like a big deal. The Panama Canal is the gateway for global shipping between the Atlantic and the Pacific. Like NYC to Shanghai, Chile to Spain, San Francisco to Savannah. If I remember right, something like 5% of all global trade passes through the canal. Exactly. And that's why I like to call this a BFD. Uh, excuse me? A, a bold financial decision. A brilliant, fascinating development. <laughs> Got it. A, uh, a, a, a blue, frothy drink. Sure. Yeah. BFD. Yeah, man. Blue frothy drink. I'm with you. I yeah, was right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we are on we're all the, the same, same page, Casey. Page. Okay, good. good. <laughs> so the Panama Canal is going to start charging for carbon emissions? Yep. How do they amend a plan to do it? Ooh, that's good. So we spoke with Maxime Reboyedo, who's in charge of the canal's decarbonization strategy, and he says they'll be applying carbon prices to larger, less efficient ships that are passing through the canal. Every ship longer than 125 feet will be charged a fee, depending on how it performs on three metrics. What are the three metrics? So those are energy efficiency, maneuverability through the canal, so how easily it's able to navigate the canal, and the kind of fuel it uses. Got it. So it's not a price per ton of emissions as we've looked at in the past. Yeah, I I would think of it more like those tolls on the highway where you you pay depending on how many axles your vehicle has, except Uh instead of axles, you'll pay depending on the fuel you use or the efficiency technologies that you install on the ship. Got it. Maxime explained the motivation behind this system. What we're trying to do with this is to just accelerate the change. Technology-wise, we might influence the shipbuilding industry, definitely. When the canal was built, it actually established uh, physical parameters for the shipbuilders to to comply with. That's that's why a ship is called Panamax. And when we opened the new locks, ships started being built before we opened them, called Neo Panamax. So 
we do influence the shipbuilding industry definitely and this type of parameters definitely will uh, make shipbuilders think about complying with them. So a price on carbon emissions in the Panama Canal could cause shipbuilders to change how they design and build. But what could shipbuilders actually do to reduce the carbon emissions from their vessels? Well, there are a lot of things they could do. For one, they could incorporate tech like bow thrusters, which make it easier to navigate the canal. Uh, they could install motors that run on zero-carbon fuels, like ammonia made using renewable energy. Uh, and how's this for Back to the Future? They could even install sails to reduce fuel consumption. Sails? On a cargo ship? You mean like in Kim Stanley Robinson's Ministry for the Future? It sounds a little crazy, right? But several companies today are already working on sail technologies to reduce cargo ship emissions. I have a new goal. <laughs> What's that? To be the reverse Ralph Waldo Emerson of our age. <laughs> you know, because during the technological transition from wind to steam power, he sailed to Europe, but then returned on a steamship. Ah, yes, of course. So what you're saying is you'd like to do the reverse? Wouldn't you? I suppose. Exactly. My, my rest my case. Uh... <laughs> Now, Jacob, this Panama Canal carbon price is an interesting design and clearly important given the central role of the canal in global trade. But you know what really stands out to me? No, what's that? This isn't an example of a government creating a carbon pricing policy. It isn't a carbon tax or a cap-and-trade system established by law, like the regional examples we saw in the U.S. in Episode 9 or the cap-and-trade systems in China, the EU, and Canada— the Panama Canal is autonomous from the Panamanian government. This is an example of an independent institution pricing emissions voluntarily. Hmm. Yeah, Casey, and I think that might be the bluest, frothiest drink about this. <laughs> nice. Private actors are beginning to take climate action into their own hands, and this is happening more and more around the world. Oh, believe me, I know. I've been seeing it up close and personal for over five years now. You know, every episode I say, I'm Casey Pickett, Planetary Solutions Project Director and Director of the Yale Carbon Charge, but I've never explained what the Yale Carbon Charge is, nor how it works. I think the time has come. <laughs> I feel like I'm about to go through some sort of rite of passage here. If you've been listening to Pricing Nature, you may know that states, countries, and entire regions of the planet use cap-and-trade mechanisms and carbon taxes to try to squeeze out fossil fuels from their economies. The Carbon Pricing Leadership Coalition reports that there are 45 national jurisdictions and 34 subnational jurisdictions covered by a carbon price. That means over 21% of global greenhouse gas emissions are subject to a price on carbon. What you may not know is that companies and institutions price carbon too. According to CDP, formerly the Carbon Disclosure Project, there are more than 800 companies already using what we call internal carbon prices. If that's a head-scratcher, you're forgiven. Why would a company or institution put a price on its own emissions? Charge myself, you might think? Wouldn't that be like slapping my own hand for reaching into the cookie jar? If that seems like an odd way to behave, stay tuned. Yeah, I'll be honest, Casey, it, it does seem like a pretty strange way to run your organization. Well then, stay tuned. As it turns out, some of the world's best-known companies and universities are putting a price on their own emissions. At Yale, we're trying to understand how to use carbon pricing to drive down carbon emissions effectively and efficiently at companies and institutions. We're using ourselves as a guinea pig, and we've learned a lot. Next time on Pricing Nature, 
we'll share lessons from our experience and hear from others who are researching internal carbon prices at universities. A university setting is definitely the most diverse that I've encountered because you have got that total range from people who are simulating earthquakes to people who are running a library to a cafeteria. You know, you've got that full range of activity. We'll talk to experts who see a business case for internal carbon pricing. Institutions that are not paying attention to the cost of climate are putting themselves in a position of risk. We are all very fortunate that there are many, many technologies, clean technologies out there, which pay for themselves. Those opportunities are out there. Internal carbon pricing helps you access them faster and at scale. And we'll find that internal carbon pricing is no walk in the park. How do you pick a carbon price high enough to incent reductions at your company, but not so high that your employees revolt? How do you set up the pricing system in a way that people find fair enough to participate? How should you spend the funds generated by your carbon price? And how do you deal with emissions that your institution is responsible for but doesn't control, such as business travel and use of your products? Join us next time to learn about the growing world of internal carbon prices as companies and institutions take climate action into their own hands. This mini-episode was written by Jacob Miller and Casey Pickett. Sound engineering by Jacob Miller. Original music by Katie Sawicki. Special thanks to the Carbon Pricing Leadership Coalition and the Tobin Center for Economic Policy for their partnership, and to Ryan McAvoy, Stuart DeCue, and Heather Fitzgerald for making this episode possible.